If you have any topic suggestions that you'd like to hear more about or questions that you're hoping that we could maybe address on a future podcast, you can click the Get in Touch box right on our website at ktsmoneymatters.com. And the Hardworking Woman's Guide to Money, available either on our website, KT's Money Matters, or on Amazon. Or of course, you can find our link in the show notes. Working with your investments, retirement, insurance, estate or tax planning, or just dealing with everyday expenses, your money matters. Let KT Thomas help you make the most of it. This is KT's Money Matters. Hey there, and welcome back. This is KT at ktsmoneymatters.com, coming to you with your tips and quips and ideas about making money, saving money, growing money, spending money. Today, we're going to talk about spending money, but we're also going to talk about the emotional side of money. And I say that because although money is financial and its foundation, it is also emotional. If you have more or less than your friends have, or less or more than you, quote, should have, you and all of us can have an emotional response to that, usually shame. So if you are money shaming yourself about what you think you should have done or might have done or wish you've done, this show is for you. I'll be back after the break. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. You know, I always talk about money shaming in the same kind of way people talk about fat shaming. It eats at the core of how you feel about yourself, but the biggest problem with money shaming is that like fat shaming, it leads to growing the problem, not shrinking it. I had a conversation with a client recently about how the debt had grown. She tells me this with some shame, like I'm the woman running the scale at Weight Watchers. We dug into the depths of the debt, what's going on at the time, and how we might course correct. First, let me tell you what I told her. First thing I will say to you is, you are not a robot. You are not an emotionless, fact-finding, logical computer. And as a result, there's no such thing as perfect cash management. There will always be unexpected bills. And when you are exhausted, or in a state of a major change, managing the budget can be the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know how many of you have ever felt this way. I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know where this is all going to come from. And then you go to Marshall's and you buy something and you convince yourself that that's okay because it's on sale and it was really cheap. And frankly, you don't have enough money anyway, so who cares? This idea of the good after the bad. And the reason why I always equate this with how people deal with food, because I always find when I'm most stressed out, I am also hungry. And I want to eat things, even though maybe I'm trying to lose weight. And now I feel bad that I've broken my diet. Therefore, what we might as well just have all the other things I wanted because I'm already off the diet. And people take that with their money as well. They go, well, listen, it's already gone. The good of the bad. I'm going to go shopping. I don't care. It's not going to work anyway. And I always say to people, you know, sometimes you just have to slow down and breathe. In fact, if you've ever spent any time with me, that's one of the things I say all the time is just breathe, take a minute. And then usually I say, which is something I truly believe, which is money is not the end, but a means to the end. 
Everybody loves to see their money stack up, but frankly, they're missing the big point. Money should help you accomplish what's important to you and provide for you and your loved ones. But the goal isn't to the balances of your accounts to grow. It's what the growth of those accounts allows you to obtain. Perhaps it's a more comfortable retirement or something as simple as being able to pay the rent and not bouncing checks. Your net worth is not your self-worth. And thank God, because there are a large discrepancy of net worths in America. In fact, 10% of the population in America actually have a negative self-worth, which means if we had a yard sale, we sold everything that you owed and we tried to pay off everybody that you owe, there wouldn't be enough. In fact, even though there are people who have stacked up some earnings, half of the population in America have a net worth under $100,000. So if you feel like you're struggling for money and you're trying to figure out, you know, how's it all working and you think you're the only one, guess what? You are so not the only one. There are lots of reasons for this. Now, there are, of course, people that have that, you know, we always talk about the 1% or the one-tenth of the 1%, and then there's the top 10%. And so there are obviously folks out there who have a very large net worth and use their wealth to do lots of things, some good and some truly awful. Having the money wasn't what made it good. So think, you know, really good people like Bill Gates gives away a large share of his wealth, is trying to figure out how to cure AIDS, trying to figure out how to bring fresh water, trying to do all kinds of meaningful things with his wealth to provide around the world. And then you have people like the super wealthy pedophile Jeffrey Epstein, who, you know, after finally being at, a, at risk of having to pay for his crimes, by the way, after he got off two or three times because he had a lot of money and he calmed all the right hands, finally commits suicide to avoid the rage of the people. Money meant he could do more bad without detection, but his self-worth was rock bottom. So self-worth, who you are and your value to the community and your value to society and net worth, how much money we have and how it all stacks up. Very, very different things. Because we hear about rich people all of the time, and I mean all of the time, we think we're poor. But the fact is in America, 80% of Americans have a net worth less than $500,000. This includes the equity in your home, money in your retirement accounts that you can't spend yet. So I ask you, who are you measuring yourself against? Is that great, Chase? keeping you poorer than you could be. My first wish for you is that you don't measure yourself against the rich and famous, because after all, that represents something like 1% of all Americans. Most of those people were born to that wealth, and some created it by doing something truly life-changing and extraordinary. Others were talented in the arts, and then there are the rest of us. So unless you're going to invent something truly incredible like the internet, it might be really hard for you to get in that top group. So if you're trying to create that Pinterest life, it can be pretty expensive. I think about Zulily and Amazon and all the packages that come in the mail from all of these stores. It's like Christmas every day at your house. 
if you know your UPS driver intimately, you may want to consider whether or not this is a habit that is affordable. People will say to me all the time, oh, that's, they're not that expensive. But when you add them all together, it adds up. Now, recently, you know, I started shopping around on Amazon, checking out about how many packages are actually returned. Because some people will say to me, oh, I return all those packages. And other people say to me things like, oh, I meant to return it. I never got around to returning it. It's such a hassle. I don't have any time. And so you should know that about one third of all online purchases are returned. However, most of those are returned for a merchant credit. That means you'll buy something else from them. Why? Because a lot of times they'll let you ship it back free if you will accept a merchant credit, which means you'll buy something else from them later. See, they're going to get paid one way or another. If you never return packages, a lot of people don't. They just keep it. Too much hassle, no time. They bought something they never really wanted. It's so easy to click and buy that there's really no time to think about that purchases until they're on their way. I can usually spot these people. All you have to do is walk in your closet and do you have clothes that still have the tags on them? So there are things you can do to slow this down. One of the things you can do is try everything on that you bring home. I leave clothes a week. I give it a week. I hang them in the closet with the tags on. They have one week. I try it on. If I haven't taken the tags off in a week, I'm not wearing it. I put it back in the bag with the tag. If it's going to a store, I put it in my car so that I don't forget to return it. If it stays in the house, it's in the house forever. So if I want to return it, I have to get it out of the house. The other thing I do is on the internet shopping, I don't check out. God, this is hard. They get you right to the page to check out. You got a cart, blah, blah, blah. But I always reckon this like to the cart that I used to take around the clothing store. Like if I'd go to Macy's, I would be putting things in my cart that I might buy, that I might buy if I don't find something I like better. And then I start adding up everything I have in my cart. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not buying all that stuff. And I decide what I'm going to take out and not buy after all. And then I take whatever purchases I'm really going to make and I take them to the register. But on the internet, you don't have that. They push you right to the sales. Suddenly you're at the checkout. You hit the button, especially if it's Amazon. They already have my information. Boom, they know where to ship it and it's done. That speed can cost me money because what ends up happening is I get things maybe I didn't really want or I didn't really have or I didn't really need. And then I either have to take time and money to ship it back or keep it, which of course meant that I paid for something that I didn't really want. I use the 24-hour rule here, and I know you guys have heard me talk about this before, is I just back away from the computer and I leave the purchases in my cart. Oh my God, KT, if I do that, I'm going to lose my purchases. What happens if somebody else buys them? It always looks like there's only one or two left. Guess what? That's probably a lie. There probably aren't one or two left. There's probably one or 2,000 left. Unless you really, 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 really are sure that you absolutely want that one thing that you see, you should give it 24 hours. Give it a chance to age in your mind and decide tomorrow if you still like it. And although this isn't a Pinterest thing, this is also another thing that keeps people from growing their net worth. And they're actually not really attached to how this happens. 
trading in your car too often. The average car is an expense. It's not an investment. Cars depreciate over time and the value of them don't grow. But if you're one of those people that always has a car loan going, this can be a way that your net worth fails to grow. If the itch of making your last two or three car loan payments makes you think it's time to go find another car, this could be an opportunity for you. The idea that you have a year without a car loan. That you save the car loan money in your cash reserve and you use it toward the down payment of the next car loan. In a previous podcast, I talked about how this kind of, this kind of trick over a decade will save about $10,000 just because you skip a year without a car loan and then that money piles up and you use it for the next car and the next car and the next car and buy the fourth or fifth car, you're actually buying it for cash. And so that's a true easy way to grow your net worth over time. All you have to do is stay away from the dealership. It's not that hard because they're not that fun. Dealerships are not that fun a place to go. There's a lot of pressure there. A lot of people don't really like to go, but they kind of get the itch to go look at cars. And so you need to decide in advance, am I going to buy a car this year? And if I'm not buying a car this year, I'm not going car shopping. My husband loves to go car shopping. He loves to look around the lot, take cars for test drives and bother car salesmen. I am the purchasing department. I only want to be there when money is going to be transacted. He's like, do you want to go stop and look at cars? I'm like, no, I never want to stop and look at cars. I'm not buying a car. He goes, yeah, but we could just look. And I go, no, I don't look. I'm the purchasing department. These kinds of ideas will save you thousands and will help you move your net worth forward. Will you make it to that, you know, million, two million, five million for the richest, you know, 15 million for the richest Americans? Probably not, but you could move up some and you could grow it in a way that doesn't make you feel bad about it. Because growing your net worth over time is a good thing, but no matter what, your self-worth is actually more valuable. Make sure you're not chasing somebody else's dream. And you too can have better, financial self-worth with less shame until we speak again. Thanks for listening to KT's Money Matters with KT Thomas. For more information, past episodes, and show notes, go to www.ktsmoneymatterspodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and recommend it at iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.